Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured Premier League match number 21 at home versus Brentford. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. Are you uh, you sleeping off a a Super Bowl hangover? I'm sorry, wrong football. Wrong football. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say that there's a major football event this weekend, and, and a Super Bowl happened, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? As you dig deeper into the into the world of of international soccer, there's always a big game going on. It's just a question of what country it's in. Right. <laughs> so our our game from this weekend uh, resulted in our second draw of the season. So, well, sec- second. Uh, was, wait, is it? Was it second, second or was it third? I, Am I remember third. One? Third. We have a because we knew Newcastle. Newca- third. Newca- okay. Third draw. Yeah. No. Third consecutive oh, game. Right. Third consecutive game without a win. However, which is, is right. Disappointing, but we'll get into that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I'm. I don't have anything uh, down to follow up on, and I'm not aware of any news. Anything you're aware of that you wanted to talk about, or do you want to get right into the Brentford match? Well, nothing that isn't directly related to the Brentford match, I should say. Uh, right. but, but I, as as we've discussed, we have we have things to discuss. Uh, but yes. Yep. So. Uh, so yeah, uh, just. This so this match happened this past Saturday, February eleventh, twenty twenty three. This was a home match against Brentford, and uh, the first half was scoreless. Um, the 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 biggest thing that I had noted down from the first half was, as we were talking about again last week, there was a a foul, a clear foul against Saka in the penalty box. He was knocked over right near the goal as he was approaching ready to score. It was an obvious denial of a goal scoring opportunity could have potentially been a straight red, but should have at least been a foul resulting in a penalty kick, but no, it was Saka. So nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that was one as I watched it. I mean, of course, Saka goes down in the box. He want the call, but that, I got to say that was one as I watched, I was like, Oh, that feels like one. They're not going to give. You think he dove a bit? Uh, I don't. I'm not saying he dove. I think that uh, there was contact. I just that was one I was kind of watching, especially being in the first half. Part of me is like, I feel like they're going to want something a little more blatant than that. You know, like more blatant. Yeah. Foul. I. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, of course, I want. I would like to call in that circumstance, and of course, it's Saka. Yeah. So there's a certain sense of aggrievement that you tend to feel because it's Saka. And <laughs> as we discussed, but yeah, that that was one. I let's uh, let, let's just say I wasn't surprised when you know the nothing. There was no call made at all. I I can't say I was surprised at all. Well, you reminded me actually of something else that I had noticed. So this match went without a yellow card for almost its entirety until probably, I don't know, the last 15 minutes or so. And it seems like that's often the case that I don't know if it's just that the refs are asserting their control more toward the end of the game to preclude something happening or if perhaps tensions just get higher and things actually do start maybe getting worse at the end of the match. But this isn't the first time that that it's happened like that, I've noticed. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's a certain some of it's the style of refereeing. I mean, some of it's also just the way they choose to call the game early on. That if you let a lot of things go early, you're not going to jump in and start calling them. It's going to take a lot before you start calling them, and you can go a while. And I I don't think there were certainly some things you could point to and say, ah, there probably should have been a call here or a call there. But overall, I didn't I didn't come away from that saying to myself. 
you know, wow, there there should have there were a lot of yellows that went that went begging in this one. I thought overall, you know, I, I the complaints I have about the about the officiating stem not only from from VAR obviously, but also I, I a lot of it late. And frankly, the stuff that I was bothered by late on got yellow carded. So that's yeah, yeah I can't. In that sense, I can't. It, it, it is weird to watch, but you get games like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't. To me, I didn't. I wasn't trying to say that I noticed yellow cards that went uncalled. It was just more, just kind of an observation. The game generally starts to go that way towards the end, I guess. And I was just trying to figure out if it was that they start calling things that they didn't before, which you you seem to say maybe they don't, that if they aren't calling it early, it's hard to justify calling the same severity of things later. Maybe it is just that the players start getting more desperate as the match winds down. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the ideal, right? Is that you want that most players will tell you what they really want is consistency. Is this a foul or is it not? Is it going to be called a foul or not? And if it, if it's going to be called a foul, okay, I won't do that. But if you let me do it, you don't want to be in a case where I've been allowed to do this all game, and then suddenly, suddenly I'm in trouble because it's the 77th minute. Um, right. I, I think what's happening here is you saw the to me the cards. I, I, at least one of them was, and maybe it was was both of them. were were really cards for for time wasting, and in that case, that's a deliberate choice on Brentford's part to essentially kill the game, which is obviously very frustrating to watch. On the other hand that's exactly what you're supposed to do in the situation they're in. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're there. You're in a sense, you're right. It's, it's sort of the game state. Um, I mean, typically, typically if teams are getting desperate at the end, chances are they're chasing the game. And so you're not fouling because you should have the ball and you should be, you know, pushing forward and trying to score. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so you know the the first half elapsed mostly uneventfully. There there were some there were quite a few blown chances from us that we didn't capitalize on, uh, which ended up coming back to bite us later. But uh, we finally got a goal in the 66th minute. It was very nice. You had some back and forth. Saka made a cross, and Trissard was right there, didn't even have to kick it. It looked like it, it bounced off his foot, and it maybe even was off the stud side of his shoe. It uh, <laughs> just, like, bounced right off his foot, right into the corner. It was a really nice goal. Yeah, and, and that's – I think there's also – I think there's um... – that that finish is a lot harder than it looks. Like we, yeah. it's easy to sort of say, "Oh, it's a tap in," but I mean that's actually a tough finish, tough angle. He does a really good job to get that down because that's one you could very easily hit the wrong way or bounce off your foot the wrong way or just just even whiff on altogether. And he doesn't. He he finishes. He's able to right. put it in the net, and you know it's a really nice goal. And and I mean I think the criticism. I mean because I because I saw this game, and I will I will sort of curious what you think about this. I. I, I, watching Brentford, we saw them play a lot the same way we saw Newcastle play, the way we saw Everton play. You see, so it's the way we see many team, many of our opposition play, right? Sitting back. I mean, they had and you know eight, nine, ten guys in the box at one point. Everybody's behind the ball. They're looking to break on counters, which they did, which they did fairly well, I thought. Um, and and their their striker Ivan Tony was a was a problem. He was he was a, a, certainly was causing us a lot of problems. I think throughout the game, minus even the goal, was just a difficult player to deal with. And 
there's an argument to be made that in trying to break that down, that one of the things that's happening is we're getting a little bit static in terms of our lineup. I, I'm kind of curious what you think about that. That we're utilizing the same players every week, basically. Well, yeah, utilizing the same players. And I think also there's a sense that it, it, it's not so much they're getting tired, but there's a sense that we're very predictable. Like, I don't know. I, like, I watch this game, and part of me looks at this and says, wow, this feels a lot like the Everton game. It feels a lot like some of the games we played recently. I don't know. I'm curious what you think as as you're watching this. Was there a certain familiarity to it? Yeah, there there certainly is familiarity. I wasn't necessarily looking at that at the time as a bad thing. I can see it through that lens, though. I can see what you're talking about. That's something that I'll I'll look for. Um and, you know, maybe that'll change this week just out of necessity because we're playing on Wednesday and then again on the weekend. So mm. having the two games in the same week is going to necessitate at least some changes uh, on that score. So, yeah. And and, and so I, I had sent you right before we started, I sent you a piece that actually came out on uh, at the end of last week, right before the game uh, from The Athletic talking about the Arsenal's consistent team selection and that basically we have run out the same starting 11 more often than most teams would. And and, and hmm. to a certain extent, there's a strength to that. I mean, you, you in some ways, you know, and, and teams will talk about this, you want to be able to dictate the game. You want to be able to say, this is how we're going to play. This is how things go. And And typically you see a lot of sort of rotation in teams' lineups. And a lot of that just stuff like injuries, guys you want to play, can't play. Um, you'll see it also in the form of, uh, what we call form, basically how well people are playing. A lot of times, you know, if the team starts to struggle, the manager will shake things up with a new lineup or needs to do something different to adjust for, you know, weaknesses that have revealed themselves. But obviously with the strong start we had, you're not going to see a lot of changes. Really the only significant change we've seen over the course of the season has been Eddie and Ketia coming in for Gabriel Jesus because Jesus is hurt. Um mm-hmm. And I think, and we can get back to this end of the time, I think there's also a good argument that really having Jesus, th- th- this game and the Everton game, I think really show how much we could use a guy like Jesus. The sort of the things he was doing, even as he was struggling to score, some of the things he's able to do offensively just give us a chances to do things differently. Eddie, Eddie still is, uh, Eddie is, I mean, it's no, we, we've said how great he is. He's He's a good player. He does a lot of really good, a lot of things well. He's improved even dramatically this season. But Gabriel Jesus is Gabriel Jesus should start when he's healthy as soon as he comes back. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm looking forward to his return. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, one one thing I wanted to note also when you were talking about the difficulty of what Trossard did in in that goal from this match. It reminded me of a conversation. So I watched this match live uh, with with my father on the phone. Ah, uh, it was okay. it was a, a fun fun way to spend the morning. And one thing that he was talking about is it, it seemed to him futile when they try heading the ball in that it doesn't result in a goal a lot of a time. And I was defending the practice just basically because you have to try when you're heading it. You don't really have any other option like that's where it's where it's coming to you and you have to make the best of it and try to use your head to get it in 
but it just it's the same kind of problem where you're not it's even more so it's like you have to do what Trissard did with his foot because there's just no way to kick it <laughs> with with your head obviously um and it's the same kind of the same types of challenges where you need to have your body positioned in anticipation of where the ball is going to be with a ball that's moving so quickly it's almost impossible to judge that consistently with a lot of predictability so yeah it's no, yeah. Uh, it's a similar type of goal yeah yeah, no, I think I, that's that's obviously right. It, it's so reactive because of how quickly so much of that happens. I mean, headers, head, heading is like kicking. It's a skill. And there are some guys who are excellent at directing the ball on goal. Um, and you see a lot of them are, they're really good about timing their jumps and you know making sure the ball goes down. And some of it's even just as simple as being tall right you know that when you're taller it's easy <laughs> you can get up a little higher in the air you can get down on the ball uh, as opposed to you know being under it which is how it pops up elsewhere you know so there's it's like anything else it's a skill that some guys have and other guys uh just you know can develop over time and other guys are just going to struggle with and um you know they you see it's yeah you see you 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 do what you can in those instances right yeah so uh so let's talk about brentford's goal <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this was a goal that ha- it had a lot of touches before it made it in it bounced off of a whole bunch of heads it kind of looked like toward the end Ramsdale could have maybe blocked it if he hadn't dropped down because it ended up going in high and he was down on his knees. And by that point there was nothing he could have done about it, but it also seems that the whole thing should have been called off. And although there was a VAR review, they looked at the wrong pass. (laughs) Yeah. That was not fun. Yeah. So, so there are, there are so many layers to this. It is, it is an onion of of, of <laughs> frustrating things. So for starters, the initial foul that takes place that sets up the free kick, which we didn't even mention there. So this all comes after a free kick, off a free kick, a set piece. And the initial foul oh, yeah. uh, involves William Saliba and Ivan Tony basically wrapped up with each other, and Saliba gets called for the foul. If you look at what actually happens, though, Tony is standing in front of Saliba. You can see his arms backward wrapped around Saliba and sort of pulls him. And because he's the one who hits the ground first, Tony does. He's the one who gets credit for having been fouled. Right. Um, which, again, is one of those, you know, to- we talk about Tony being a problem. Obviously, he's a he's a smart player and has, has been playing very well this year. But also, um, you know, is able to do that kind of clever thing to put himself in a position where it looks like he's been fouled and you you know, you, you grit your teeth about it because you, you hope you have some guys who can do the same thing, but it's frustrating, of course, when it sets up a play like that. Um, yes, mm-hmm. then they, they play a little uh, little head tennis in the box there, a couple bounces back and <laughs> forth, which, which, I mean, again, whatever we think about the setup and should have been there, that's, that's not good defending. You can't let that happen to have them have that many times, right. you know, with the ball, opportunities with the ball like that, that deep in your box um so let's see we're two layers in now uh and then of course you're right it was it was the whole play shouldn't have happened because they were actually offside and having gone through a lengthy review of the whole thing 
they determined that things were not, in fact, offside. But how could they know that? Because, as we discovered uh, later that day or the day, or the next day, the timeline timeline's totally compressed for me. I've forgotten exactly the details. But basically, Arsenal received a message from the PGMOL, uh, which is, wait, i got to find it. There you go. The Professional Game <clears throat> Match Officials Limited which is the people who actually assign referees and match officials to games. Uh, the chief officer mm-hmm. had contacted Arsenal over, quote, significant errors that were made using VAR. The significant error in this case being they forgot to draw the offside lines. <laughs> they simply huh. forgot to do them. Oh, boy. Which is, it's just the most mind-boggling explanation. I mean, I... I I'm sure, I'm sure it's true. I but just yeah, not a satisfying explanation. <laughs> I mean the the obvious the meme you had one job. That's that's literally <laughs> what you are supposed to do. Um, yeah, and they did not. They just didn't do it. And and you know again, VAR and, and PGMOL having having quite a day. Another game that same day. I think maybe even at the same time. Uh, they also made a mistake in a game uh, involving uh, Brighton and Crystal Palace where a, a, a Brighton goal was called back because of an offside call where they drew the line through the wrong defender. Oh, man. And so the player was actually onside. <laughs> um but they drew the wrong one, and yeah. Yeah, so my experience watching it live and with the benefit of being able to hear the commentary, you could, so yeah, looking back, I remember, yeah, no, they didn't draw the lines. You could see that. It wasn't pointed out as it was happening, but just eyeballing it, maybe it was, I don't know, maybe they didn't draw the lines because it seemed pretty clear cut, the part that they were reviewing was the initial pass off of the foot. But when you look at the actual, the final head pass that landed in front of the player who ended up actually kicking in the goal, that was when he was actually offside. The player who made the final kick into the goal, his elbow, you could tell was too far forward. That was pointed out a minute or so later, within a few minutes, certainly it was pointed out by the commentators who who had kind of caught on to that. It, it just looked like they were reviewing the wrong part of the play. They were reviewing the most obvious. Well, OK, the first pass is, I guess, when they're thinking it was most likely someone was going to be too far forward. I don't, I don't know exactly how they stopped reviewing there when we already said how many the, the head tennis, right? It was bouncing all over the place. Every single one of those could have been subject to VAR. They should have kind of been at least reviewing that to see if there was a potential and then drawn the appropriate lines. But yeah, that that was not good. And that, that ended up being the last major action of the game, as I recall. I don't think there were any serious attempts after that it happened pretty late, I think. It was around um, well, I guess yeah, there was there was time. It was in the seventies, I think there there was like maybe fifteen. Yeah, so seventy fourth minute was left, the goal. But... I you know, we uh, Arsenal again sort of turned it forward at that point once they had the um you know, once they had the, the, the draw, you know, if you're Brentford, they, they were sitting back. And Arsenal was, was aggressive and going forward. But, um, yeah, I mean, 
it, they made a really interesting substitution late on, uh, which was Fabio Vieira coming on for Granit Xhaka. I mean, I understand. I mean, Trossard for Martinelli is, is what we call a like for like. That basically, mm-hmm. you know, when you you you're bringing on Trossard to essentially do what Martinelli's been doing, and he's it just he's it literally is a replacement in the sense that we're going to keep playing the same way. And now Trossard brings his own skill and a slightly different, slight uh, slight differences to what he's trying to do out there. But for the most part, he's going to do similar. He's going to play a similar role to what Martinelli did. Vieira for Xhaka is a little different. Um, it's kind of curious. I, I mean, I was talking about this with some of the folks I was watching with. For all the credit we were giving Granite Xhaka in the first part of the season, and deservedly so, he was doing a really good job as a as an advanced forward, getting into dangerous positions. I didn't. He wasn't. I, something. Something seems to be missing lately. He hasn't been quite the same and you know you start to wonder how you know how, how i mean you know fabio Vieira was brought in we know he's talented we know he's capable i it just it just part of me just kind of wonders like what you know how you you look at the lineup we talk about changes i mean there's there's the same names keep coming up martinelli maybe for trossard um, and then the other one is Ben White, who also hasn't been particularly great since the World Cup. Uh, there's suggestions mm-hmm. he's facing an injury. Uh, we, yeah, we have Tomiyasu, who's a perfectly serviceable right back. Um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting, interesting substitution. But again, you're still dealing with a lot of similar players. And even as you replace guys, you're not really changing your system in the senses that it's making us a little predictable. And I think that was the word that the, the Brentford manager used after the game is that Arsenal's a bit predictable. Um, hmm. Which. Yeah. That's I mean, I certainly a disadvantage yeah. when it gets that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, part, part of that's the predictability, uh, you know, is, but also like it, it we're you notice we're struggling a little bit on execution too. We were, obviously we were, we're flying for most of the first half of the season and we haven't quite been lately. And, you know, this is a blip. These things happen. You're, you're going to go through stretches where you aren't playing particularly well. The question is, is this a, is this a blip in a moment where we find ourselves and, and are able to turn it on again and, and, you know, make a run for the title? Or, you know, are we, I don't want to say regressing to the mean, but, uh, you know, were we, were we mm-hmm. playing a little ahead of ourselves and now maybe the, the ba- some of the bounces we got early on aren't going our way? I'm not quite there in the second version yet, but we're certainly going through a blip and it's kind of curious, you know, how, what does Arteta do? What do the players do to sort of get them, get them out of that? And he, he sort of said this. Yeah. I mean, we had some chances throughout the game and we just couldn't quite capitalize on them and, you know, we, we we created the goal in a moment of brilliance. I think that was another thing Brentford said was you switch off for one play and Arsenal can beat you. And we did. But we switched mm-hmm. off for a play too and they beat us. So VAR yeah. commentary aside, you know, again, they shouldn't be able to bounce the ball in the box like that. That's just not that can't that can't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, overall disappointing. Uh, any other uh final comments on the match um i mean i guess i'm kind of curious what you think you know as you see more of this especially the time wasting stuff i'm kind of interested to see to hear your thoughts on watching you know a team like brentford kind of 
kind of bounce around with things a little bit. Well, you know, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a little frustrating, but you get it from their point of view. They would be happy to draw against the number one team, and if that's <laughs> if that's what they want to do instead of trying for another attempt, I mean, you know, whatever they they got carded for it, like you said, it you know it's frustrating, but I, I understand the motivation behind it, and it's hard to argue. And you do the same thing in most other professional sports too, in the same type of position, I guess the key difference being that you have some kind of clock in play, whether it's a shot clock or a play clock or whatever you have in other sports. Um, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it, <laughs> I guess I didn't really think too critically about it. It was just, I understood what was happening and let, let them waste time, I guess, if they think that that's beneficial. I mean, ultimately, it'll end up hurting them if we do still manage to score in spite of them wasting time, and then they have less time to try and counter again, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's always the gamble with time-wasting, but yeah, it's, it's you know, what's the best way to do it? We should add as well, we're, we're talking about Brentford as if this is a game we should have won. I mean, obviously, we beat them in the first game at their place 3-0, but if you look at their results this season, they beat Manchester United 4-0, um they what else do we have they uh they drew with Chelsea they had they actually beat Manchester City back in November um they have a draw with Spurs they they're actually they they've had a pretty good record they beat Liverpool 3-1 right at, right around New Year's they're a they are not a bad team and they're not a bad team uh that that has performed very well against uh, against top sides they're currently sitting on the table says they're currently sitting in eighth uh they're really just a point out of six they're right there with we talked about brighton going to europe brentford is right there as well uh they're actually ahead of liverpool yeah. and chelsea so this is a pretty good team and one where you know they say you look back at the end of the season and we took four points we got four points in our brentford games uh, you know what manchester city and, and manchester united won't be able to say that so that's actually not it's, it's not a terrible result on that score that's true i guess my it didn't it never occurred to me that this is a team that we should have beaten i guess what I, the realization i was kind of coming to during this match was well first of all it felt it felt like this was a match we should have won i think it, we could have done things only slightly differently and mm. and we would have come out ahead i think it, there were just some like i said some some blown chances just the ball going too high taking a shot a little more quickly instead of giving yourself more time to do it right some some stuff like that that they they could have gotten that extra goal and, and still wanted in spite of var you know giving the the advantage to brentford but the realization that i came to during this match was you know what <laughs> i think the the realization had been brewing since the everton match which was really these are all ultimately pretty good teams. They're all in the top <laughs> division, you know, like mm -hmm. even the ones toward the bottom, it's like, they're still in the top division. There's only 20 of them and they're all decent. And every team is going to have their good days and bad days, you know, and you don't know which side of that you're on until the match is over. <laughs> so, so yeah. A, yeah. I mean, there's a refreshing ecumenicalism in that, which I can appreciate. And, and, you know, the premier league, that's the, honestly, that's the real strength of the premier league is the depth of the league that, you know, you can have teams even closer to the bottom that are frankly, substantially more talented than some of their counterparts in some of the other big leagues. And a lot, it's just money. Like the, there's so much money for the premier league that even just being in the league gives you opportunities to, to do things financially that others 
others can't do. And yes, every game's tough. Uh, certainly the fact that the Premier League is a little more physical than what you'd get maybe in Spain or Germany, you know, plays a part in that. Um, but there is also, I think, there's a certain level of expectation you're willing to carry into certain games, which is to sort of say, hey, we are at the top of the table. We are top of the league. This is a game we should win. And again, not saying it necessarily it was Brentford we should be saying that against, but I mean, that Everton game, you know, I, Everton stinks, you know, then, and they have a, <laughs> and they have, a, but we have, we have a, we have a, we have a, the whole season so far that demonstrates that. So, um, but yeah, you have to be, mm-hmm. you have to be mentally there. You have to be able to play well. And, um, and as we talked about last week, like you're going to start getting some, as we go deeper into the season towards the end, you're going to start to get uh, some better efforts from teams, especially teams like Everton who are, fighting for relegation or Brentford who's fighting for a European spot. Uh, you're going to get a kind of effort from them again. Also you being in first, you have the target on your back. So the, the way the season is sort of, is sort of shifting or the way it's, it's developing plays into that as well. Yeah. So uh, one small thing I wanted to ask you about in the first half, there was a free kick by Odegaard and it was near the penalty box. It was, it was, it was, tor- it was a pretty good uh, chance for him to, to get an opportunity to score. Um, and I noticed in addition to the spray painted line showing, I think we'd said it was what, 10 yards where the players couldn't, mm-hmm. the, the other players couldn't come closer then the ref marked the spot where the ball was supposed to be. And whatever he sprayed, it looked like he sprayed out a ball of like shaving cream and the ball was placed down on it. And as the ball rolled away a little bit, some of it was stuck to the ball. And like, it, it wasn't like a, f- a flat layer. It had volume to it. It was sticking up by an inch or so. What is that? What he usually uses. And I've just never noticed it before or like, why <laughs> what's going on with that? Yep. It's uh, it, it's foam. Um, it's basically, yeah, it, it, it sort of is kind of like, I saw somewhere watered down shaving cream. It's, it's, it's there to be temporary. It's there to sort of indicate, and they'll, they'll shave, they'll do it, shave, see, I did it. They'll spray it around the ball because <laughs> it also helps the referee mark off the spot because what you'll see, you know, if, if guys aren't paying attention, um, they, and, and there are plenty of players, forget this isn't a club thing, plenty of players are not above this, but who will, if they get the chance, sort of inch the ball forward or, or in a direction. So the referees sure. will spray around the ball to mark the spot and then walk off the line and draw that. And, and you saw it's it's vanishing. They call it vanishing spray. It, it It's meant to evaporate fairly quickly. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it's weird. Mm-hmm. It gets kind of stuck to the ball like that. But it's generally, it's as I understand, it's pretty lightweight. So it's not going to. Okay. Yeah. It shouldn't affect the ball as it's like spinning around in the air or something. I mean, I mean, certainly you're going to see some people who will say any, you know, the you get nitpicky. Anything on the ball will <laughs> yeah. will affect its flight. But I, you know, I, I, no, yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Be, it's one right. of those that really shouldn't be an issue, uh, given what, we're, especially given the power that you know these, these that these kicks are given. Yeah. All right. And uh, one one question that might be a little bit more of a lengthy answer, but it seems we have 
time for it this week um just wanted to check with you so and i and i think it's come up before but i just want to kind of nail down a, a specific definitive answer what can a manager or does a manager do during a game so i realize that there's a lot that they're called on to do between games but in the middle of a match what do they do other than making substitutions and yelling at their players like what what else is <laughs> what what else what else do they do uh the short answer is that's exactly what they do is they make substitutions and okay they yell a lot. Uh, but I, so so during during the game a lot of it comes down to what the manager himself see how the manager himself sees his role uh arteta is very tactically involved and so you'll watch him He's constantly giving directions. You can see him moving. You can see others, too. I mean, I, I was thinking in particular, not so much this week, but last week, watching Sean Dyche, who's gesticulating wildly on the sidelines as the game goes on. Now, partly he's new, so he's trying to, you know, really impart his principles to the players. And, there's, you know, this is their first chance to really work on them in a game. Uh, it mm-hmm. was really kind of an interesting thing if we go back to uh 2020 in the restart after after the covid uh stoppage and then into the following season where you played in empty stadiums and the there they're shouting a lot yes but the big difference was they could be heard I, and, and and i've heard ah. some players and stuff they're out in the field the manager is yelling you know what did you think when the manager said that i didn't really hear him because <laughs> you think about it, they're in yeah. the stadium and they're surrounded <laughs> by the fans and the all the noise and everything yeah. that's there. Um, but yeah, when you're in the empty stadiums, and it was kind of interesting listening to those broadcasts, especially ones that weren't necessarily, you know, giving you fake crowd noise, which is, I can I have interesting thoughts about that, I think. But <laughs> the ones that weren't giving the fake crowd noise, you could hear some of the things they were saying. And, and they're not, they're mostly just shouting at players and waving. So you get their attention, you see him waving his hand, go that way, go this way, tuck in, you know, push forward. Like not, it's not very complex things, uh, but Arteta, and you can see the Arsenal using breaks, and so the player, you know, goals are scored, the players huddle together and have a conversation, or if it, there's a player down injured, a bunch of uh, a bunch of players will come to the bench, and Arteta will give them specific instructions. So he's very hands on tactically, right? Um, in terms of what else they're doing, uh, they're watching the game. I mean, obviously watching the game, but they're watching sort of what happens, watching the flow. Uh, they're mm-hmm. talking to their assistants. Watching critically, yeah. Yeah, and, and the assistants will have specific roles. Uh, Arsenal has a set-piece coach, so someone who trains them or pre- prepares them for those set-piece situations, free kicks, corners, things like that. And so when when those instances come, he's probably up and making some signal to them and saying, here's the play we're going to run, essentially um okay so or you know or they're they're working on something that he has mentioned and he's he's watching for specific things uh arteta may go over and will speak to different assistants because they're watching certain things maybe for him um you know really it kind of depends sort of as he, as he watches the game just sort of to see what's going on and, and to try and make adjustments in and you hear mixed things about this. A lot of people will say things like the the idea of the tactic, the in game tactical adjustment is pretty overstated. Like it, it's it's really hard to adjust a game plan in the middle of a game. Chances are you're making an adjustment um, that you've that you already know. So you're not saying, oh my goodness, we need to we need to play the ball out wide more. 
you know, you might make some signal saying, okay, remember that, remember in practice when we worked on those wide plays? Okay, let's do those. Um, mm-hmm. So it's got to be very simple adjustments. Uh, and, and even during halftime, typically there's not a lot of time for, you're not making major adjustments at halftime. Sometimes it's just a lot of emotional adjustments. That's also what he does as well is sort of keep an eye on the team's emotional state and try to try to be encouraging. Uh, you'll see Arteta do this. You'll see Jurgen Klopp do this too. They'll, they'll work the crowd. They all, all of them will work the referees. Um, yeah. You know, saying things the referee goes by or making comments to the fourth official. Um, so, so a lot of stuff like that. And it, it, some of it just comes down to their particular personality. Arteta, as we've talked about him on the edge of the box, right? He's constantly there and almost looks like he wants to mm-hmm. run on the field and get back into the game. Some of the older guys will sit <laughs> for a while. Mm. right so beyond the edge of the box a lot yeah yeah you're right yeah i mean so you know yeah the substitutions thing is important too but then again you know somebody else is watching the different players at different parts of the field and may pull him over and say hey he's he's tiring or you know or maybe they have all sorts of physical data of course we have no access to and they're like "Mm, you know this is a problem like hey i don't like the way he looks remember we were looking at that Thing with his leg and training yeah you're right okay yeah he's you know who know who knows maybe he's given them instructions to say hey keep an eye on this player and if you see something you know tell me so we'll you know we can make an adjustment so uh right it, yeah it's it's one of those it, it's there's a lot a lot of it is stuff we just won't necessarily recognize um or a lot of it is and you see this a little bit in the the documentary doesn't go into this as much, but I've seen other versions of the documentaries that do it where they'll show you, and it's obviously all set up, but they'll be working on specific situations in training. And then you go to the game and that situation comes up. And so at that point, you don't have to say anything. It results in a, in a goal or a great play. And, you know, you see the manager, you know, celebrate, you know, clapping good. That was what we wanted. That's what we worked on. Good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess yeah, a lot of when you're talking about the uh the emotional adjustments that's probably largely happening during the halftime talk, I would guess. Yeah, pre pre-game and halftime. And we saw a little bit, I mean the right. the the you know, all or nothing which you know now was gosh, it was so long ago when that came out, but it goes a lot into <laughs> Arteta's you can definitely see it goes into his pre-game the the pregame talks and and how we we got a a slight taste of some of the postgame ones but we really didn't get, didn't get a lot of halftime ones which I, I at least I don't recall hmm. it's obviously I haven't watched the thing since August so um <laughs> but it, but yeah you get a sense of that that element of it um and and yeah notice I, I I remember them making a comment there he actually does two pregame talks. And one of them is very tactical based. Like, here's what we're trying to do. And they, they specifically pointed out that we're not showing those. And as opposed to the right. emotional ones, which is what you give right before you go on the field, you know, get the players' minds right. I'm re- I reminded, I had a, a buddy of mine when I was in grad school in Fort Worth, there was a local, not even minor league, they were independent league baseball team, the Fort Worth Cats. And a buddy for a summer just sort of, worked there as a as a gopher just kind of bounced around and did things that were needed you know helped the grounds crew helped the ticket people worked in the office all sorts of stuff like that and he remembers he said he would occasionally be in the clubhouse right before the game and he'd see their instructions 
you know, the last pregame instructions on the on the board before they went out. And he said, I was kind of stunned. He's a big sports fan. He goes, I was stunned at just how how bland they were. I mean, they were things like <laughs> play hard and stay focused. And, you know, but part of him was like, well, I guess that makes sense because when you're out there, like you it's not like you need to be reminded to play hard, but you know, you, in terms of getting your mind right for the game, you don't want to load it up with all sorts of specific tactical information. You want to get them in that emotional state where they're ready to go. So play hard. Yeah, let's go. And that's what you're looking for. So it's, it's kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. thing that, that mental side to the game. Right. Cool. So what's going on for the coming week? Um, well, I, you know, this is what we could have talked about. Uh, the big one, the one we've been talking about for so long, it's here Wednesday afternoon, home against Manchester city, uh, due to our recent little blip, uh, we can call it a blip. It's definitely a blip, uh, due to our recent little blip and their, their good run of form. Uh, they are currently three points behind us. If they win, they will go on top, uh, due to goal difference. They're ahead of us in goal difference. Obviously if they win, they would remain in front of us on goal difference. Um, we would still have a game in hand, but yeah. it it is not hard to get nervous about what that would mean, you know, to, to fall behind them at this stage, knowing how we've been playing, but also knowing, excuse me, knowing what they're capable of. And they, they are capable of rattling off 10 wins in a row. Uh, so yeah. And, and to get them at home, I mean, this is it. This is the one, this is the big one. Right. So it, it's going to be something. Uh, it is, it is going to be something. And then we shouldn't forget. We have another game on the weekend, Saturday morning, early Saturday morning for us, uh, at Aston Villa. Um, I know we're all focused on the, the city game, but I was, I was just looking a little bit ahead at the schedule to come after, after city, our next four games are at Aston Villa, at Leicester, home to Everton on March 1st, and then home against Bournemouth. Those are four teams that are all in the bottom half of the table. Everton and Bournemouth ah. are both in the relegation zone. Villa and Leicester, eh, you know, middle, you know, middle, middle, bottom of the table. Games we should or shouldn't win. In a sense, obviously the important thing is to get a result against City. Even a draw, frankly, is benefits us because it keeps us in front and takes away chance a chance for them to close the gap. But frankly, in some ways, it'd almost be more important to rattle off four wins in those four games afterwards. Like those are the games we have to really start yeah. picking up points. Because you're seeing where we're dropping the points. Everton, Brent, you know, Everton, Brentford. So it's it's we're entering an interesting stretch of the season here as we get in towards the end of february and towards march which holy cow it's the middle of february and it's almost march um yeah <laughs> yeah time flies when you're watching football mm-hmm. so there's something to keep an eye on you know obviously city is big one but you, you know whatever happens in city they have to you know get past it you can't you can't play the city game twice whether it's you get disappointed with a loss or drop points or you get super high on a win because Aston Villa is Aston Villa is not a team you can take, treat lightly, especially on the road. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye out. So, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U Supervan to download a raw, unedited recording right away. You can start a free trial on Apple Podcasts. 
Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. We'll see how this week goes, Keith. No yep. mention of Lego, so that streak is broken. <laughs> go, well, no, you just did it. You did it right there. So go, you gunners. <laughs>